You are listening to a podcast hosted by the Food Security Subcommittee of the American Meteorological Society. The theme this year is Environmental Security, Weather, Water, and Climate for a More Secure World. We will be going around the world to better understand the impacts of extreme events and climate change on global food security and how early warning systems, agrometeorology, and effective public policy can combat food insecurity. Today, we are talking with Dr. Francisco Munez Ariola. Francisco studies the resilience of complex water and agricultural systems, as well as their infrastructure. He designs geospatial and predictive analytics for data and physically driven models and information technologies to manage climate resilience infrastructure. We'd like to thank you for joining us today, Francesco. You are an expert in food security, and it is quite a complex topic. We'll start by looking at two aspects of this multifaceted puzzle. What environmental and social factors really drive food security? How do these two factors determine whether a place experiences food abundance or food insecurity? Emily, thank you very much for your kind invitation. And I'll be happy to, to talk a little bit of what are the experiences we have and what are perspectives on food security, in particular, your question regarding the environmental and social factors, I think are, are a key important components of how we understand humanity and how we understand our sustainability. And the environmental factors are strictly related with our activities as human beings and our historical sustainability, because we have eaten all life, right? And we have been related with the environment from an initial search of, a, of food into the transformation of the environment to provide food for a growing population. And that environment is in a strict contact with the human activities. And if we define environmental or environmental factors, we probably can in, in, uh, also have the agriculture as itself, but its relationship with ecosystem services, for example, or the role that agriculture plays as an ecosystem service as well. And the social factors because of agriculture for production is for, for the human benefit. The social factors are all of those that are basically driving or limiting the food production across multiple scales. And if we are talking about the scales in time and space, we are talking about geospatial context, let's say countries, counties, states, or we are talking about areas in the order of meters, the order of kilometers, hectares, acres, or the other kind of global scale geospatial references. And what are you doing in your current research to better fight food insecurity, both locally at small scales and globally? Well, currently we have a couple of areas that we are emphasizing in terms of training the new generation of experts, decision makers, policy makers, engineers, scientists in general. 
So these areas on one hand are basically the exploration of resilience in different systems, water and agricultural systems have functionalities of those systems basically allow them to recover after the impact of external forcings, let's say extreme events and how a flood or a drought affects our ability to distribute water, to access water or to distribute and access food. Uh, those are some of the, uh, let's say, activities that we are currently exploring and developing technologies to better understand them. The second family of activities is in the area of adaptive agriculture. And this has different linkages. One of them is basically with the traditional activities of breeding, basically inherited the, through different stages in the humanity to preserve and develop or engineer crops like corn. And the, in the development of technologies that they allow us to improve our ability to predict, particular predict phenotypes. And by phenotypes, we are talking about the responses of the plants or the crops for, to environmental forcings or environmental factors like drought or heat waves, etc. So our, let's say our excitement, enthusiasm has a strong focus on predictability and on better understanding these interdependencies between human and the environmental systems. You mentioned a huge part of your research is on predictability. How does climate change influence predictability in these systems? That, that's a fantastic question. It is a complicated one, right? Because we definitely are looking at different scales on this process. And I can cite you one of the examples of the, or the products that we are currently developing within the lab. And is Gene. Gene is a basically a, is a software that is under development that is designed and constructed basically to predict these phenotypes. And these phenotypes basically are looking into the genetic responses and the uh, and the plant responses to these environmental factors. And those occur at different scales of time and at different scales also in a space, no matter that we might be talking about a single plant or we could be talking about the whole crop or the whole corn production or maize production in the US. So by looking at or exploring these alternatives, for example, through initiatives so there, such as the Genomes to Fields, where we are basically designing this software so we can take the genetics of multiple, uh, let's say, mazes around the country and look at these multiple environmental factors will give us some light about how these plants have an ability to basically overcome these different effects of climate. We are talking about that basically whether, whether type of scale or better, uh, uh, whether, whether scale in this particular case with lead times of the order of a growing season. But if we start modeling basically how the crops they react or respond to the environment, 
we might be able to model different model different seasons and then we start looking into uh, scenarios of climate change as forcing to this model in order to predict basically how the gen uh, how the genes and how the plants may respond to those uh, changing conditions but the predictability on at that basically window of time it's a it's really complicated and basically resides in our ability to a statistically interpret it or through the now the use of data-driven models to create more analytics and create more data so we can probably have a better assessment of what may happen in the future but this is a complicated endeavor and how have resources changed in the last 50 years to answer these kinds of questions? This is a, a, a very nice question, Emily, and, and has a, a lot of material to, to talk about it and, and, and to, to think about it too. If we look at the, let's say, the breeding programs 50 years ago, we, we look back and see how these centennial activities of the farmers in in the americas started to develop these varieties of corn and started to develop an agriculture that was a, adapting to the changing climate if we are looking back of 100 to 1000 years right but now that we are looking into what into the resources that we currently have we probably struggle a little bit more basically to have this connection uh, with uh, in across different groups developing their own varieties, etc., because of uh, multiple pressures that we may cite from the socioeconomical perspective. But but the but we have hope and and the. It's a period of excitement, I would say, a period there or a changing paradigm of how we look into uh, look into answers. And I think it's data, right? And our ability to use the, this data to develop new forms of predicting or new forms of uh, of uh, modeling the different resources that basically help us to preserve our living support system. But in particular, I am excited about what data will drive us. And certainly uh, the new generation of engineers, scientists, artists, humanists, and all people that might be involved in looking for solutions to foresee or to preserve or to sustain agriculture, to sustain or secure food provision for, for the coming generations. So I think to summarize this answer, the growing availability of data might bring some new lights into how we have understood and how we will understand uh, the food systems in the future. You mentioned that growing availability of data has improved our understanding of food systems in the past 50 years. What do you see as some of the greatest challenges in the next 50 years? How can we best analyze data to combat food insecurity? That's a, that's a great question, Emily. And, 
And I would probably refer to our current environmental uh, health and social context, a context that we are currently living with the pandemic. The pandemic COVID-19 has jeopardized several paradigms. One of those was related with food security and how we distribute food, how nutritious is food, are and how accessible in many places food is. So that's a critical part of how we distribute, make food access more equitable, more he healthier and the better for, for the people in the future. We need to look into those alternatives and, and I think think data and the analytics that will transform data into information that is useful to the public, I think is the key path to follow or a key path to follow in order to, to bring new solutions. So the transformation of data into, into information, I think that is one of the potential solutions and alternatives basically to overcome the challenges of providing food to a growing population and uh, also a shrinking, let's say, availability of lands for agriculture, a shrinking availability of water to irrigate those crops and definitely a volatile climate, which is uh, which basically bring together a family of challenges, uh, but at the same time opportunities. So in general, I, I I trust that the, and I'm confident that the new generation, as I mentioned before, these students that we have in the classrooms, those that they later on will come and, they, and provide these novel solutions because they have been exposed to different experiences will be critical. And that part of bringing those multiple experiences will be critical to define the right solutions for this world. You have been covering a lot of information on predictive analytics and the importance of data, but you are also an expert on geospatial information. How can maps help us understand food insecurity, where it is now, and how we can fight food insecurity in the future? Well, I think if we position the, the case of the geospatial analysis or transformation or analytics, right? The, how we can process uh, data in a um, comprehensive way and use it to illustrate change. Maps represent that geographic or that geographical uh, illustration of the change. And if we look at those maps and we look at those maps changing over time, then the information is even more relevant. So to look into boundaries, to look into extents, reach of a cropping systems into a changing climate, altering basically those lines of food production or crop production, or basically the changing patterns over time of different environmental or hydro meteorological events or climate events, we, we see that the maps are a 
reliable representation, yet a very useful form of communication of, of change and form of communication of distribution of any given variable. So that is what mapping uh, geospatial analysis and geospatial analytics become a very or very important tools to basically could to continue growing and adapting and developing uh, new alternatives to become more resilient, uh, to become sustainable, and certainly to reach security in those different environmental uh, elements of our air living support system. What is the best way to translate all of your great research with predictive analytics and geospatial analysis um, to decision makers and to the general public to make the best decisions for themselves and for the future? Great question, Emily. And, and, and I think one of the activities that we are launching this year specifically is basically activities with co-design of information technologies with users. And we are particularly interested and, and working, start working with Native American communities. And there are two reasons why we are very interested on that. One of the reasons is because we can co-design in a technologies that are useful by these Native American communities that are in need of, uh, or may, may be in, in need of uh, technologies for the own conceptualization of science, productive systems, and ecosystem services. And happens that that uh, preservation care of Mother Earth is something close probably to sustainable systems. And if we produce technologies with data, artificial intelligence, geospatial analytics, predictive analytics, modeling resources, we probably can bring those conceptualizations into a place that is more operational and closer to a good productive system. But at the end, we can produce a good on, on these communities. That is, a, that is one, one element, but this also highlights that we need to create a science and technology that is useful to the, as you pointed out, decision and policy makers that reach out on time and that reach out at the rightful uh, depth and at the rightful uh, context and in an informational way or an informative way could be accurate for them so they can do their job in making better policies, in making more informed decisions. But the, it's one aspect is how we can co-design, right? All these information technologies, so we can capture the collective thoughts of these, uh, of these decision makers, policy makers, but also bring together or, or bring the information and the science and technology to these different groups or, com or communities or develop it together. Get some education from uh, being educated by them as well. 
Well, thank you again so much for your time today. I think we learned a lot about the complexity of food systems and importance of reaching out to decision makers. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Emily. It was a pleasure to, to be in this conversation. And the, if uh, someone has further questions, please feel free to reach me. I'm sure that you will put my, my information there. My name again is Francisco Munoz Arriola, and I'm a, a faculty at the University uh, of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thank you.